90 grams per hour could be the, the upper limit. And, and that was essentially because of the potential limitation from the gut, from the from our intestine, that we, we could only absorb that, that quantity. Welcome to Keep IT Healthy, Healthy, a show hosted by people making things happen in technology, aiming to optimize healthcare delivery, health, well-being and fitness. My name is Jan Kaminski and I'm the co-founder of Applover, a company dedicated to improving the quality of life with IT solutions and digital advisory. We started making this podcast to amplify great thinking to propel healthcare forward. So our guest today is Aitor Viribay, founder of Glute for Science. Hi. Hello, Jan. How are you? Thanks, th- thanks for joining. Uh, we always start with an overview of your journey and uh, your background. And I know you're active in fields of exercise physiology, metabolism, sport nutrition, and obviously leading up to your current role as a lead performance nutritionist at, at the cycling team. And uh, could, you, could you give us an overview of that? <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, I think it's always hard to uh, summarize your whole life, but uh, let, let's say, well, it all started probably when I was just um, racing as a, as a cyclist, as a bike rider. So, um, well, I'm, I'm coming from the Basque country, which is, which the, the, the cycling culture is highly established in, in, in this country. So from, from the beginning, from very young, we, we already started to get exposed to cycling and, and that uh, gave me the, the possibility to spend almost uh, 23 years of my life, uh, almost cycling. And, uh, when I was already racing at a higher categories, I had, um, a special uh, curiosity and, and ambition to learn about physiology. So I um, just on my own, I started to read a lot about yeah, physiology, medicine, uh, even training methodologies. So I think that all, um, in a way, defined my my future or the future I thought, or the I thought of the future. Um, then I can say, well, I did just a little inclusion on, on, on engineering. And, and after that, I purely focused on, on studying first nutrition then um, scale up a little bit into physiology. And then uh, when I retired from cycling, I really I really had a, an especial interest in understanding metabolism that uh, brought me to really, you know, start researching around that, uh, how our body can get adapted to exercise uh, by studying uh, how we basically burn energy, how we <laughs> use different substrate to um yeah to accomplish that that energy burning and uh, and then finally that probably has um yeah the, the, the top of that journey is, is probably now when i can really say that i enjoy my life and i work uh, as you know as a practitioner and a researcher at the same at the same time in, in one of the best uh, cycling team in the world and, and in one of the most uh, probably demanding sports uh, metabolically speaking from uh, in the world so that is as you can imagine a uh, yeah, a big uh, dream in a way come true. Don't you sometimes sometimes miss cycling in a sense like being, of course you probably do it, like mean, still do it, but not at this level. So don't you miss it sometimes? Well, you always miss uh, that, that feeling from a competitor or racer, you know, uh, but I think we, we've got, we are lucky with cycling. It's not, it's not only racing, cycling is about culture, about uh, you know, the society, the social rights, just going out there with friends. And uh, fortunately, I can say I am still riding my bike quite frequently. So I can I can say I don't miss it at all. Yeah. And, you know, your research, as I saw it when I was um, when I was checking that, uh, has challenged the conventional limits of um, carbohydrate 
intake during the athletic endeavors. Um, could you elaborate uh, on those fund, fund findings and the implications for, for athletes? Well, exactly. Yeah. I mean, we, yeah, from, from the beginning, even when I, when I was bike rider, I had a, a special interest on, on, on fueling and fueling on the bike. So when I started to study about, about muscle, you know, when you start, when you study about muscle, you go to classical and traditional physiology, you start reading how the mass, how the glucose, which is essentially carbohydrates, they, they go into the muscle, how they are used. So that, that opened up a little bit of that ambition in, in my mind to learn about, about, uh, about sustrate utilization, how we use sustrate and, um, and, and that yeah probably led up in, into understanding or, or my my willing of understanding better how we can fuel and, and, and sustain the energy demands of a, a very expensive movement which is exercise you know from from energy point of view it is very expensive to keep running keep uh, uh, pedaling on, on the bike and or keep you know uh, just even walking for example on, on the mountains the, the classical literature that is coming from uh, well maybe more than 100 years ago it was already um, discovered that carbohydrate intake could increase performance uh, during the exercise. Okay, obviously, as you can imagine, that has evolved massively until now. And, and, and recently, we're talking now about 50, 60 years ago, uh, with some clinical trials, it was possible to demonstrate scientifically that some kind of um, ingestion of carbohydrates, we're talking about maybe 30 grams per hour, which is essentially can be uh, just a banana, a little bit more, that could already impact on, on, on our performance to, to exercise, right? So that has been obviously, uh, you know, uh, getting more and more attraction and, and, and knowledge has been uh, developed. And, and briefly, very briefly in the history of, of this uh, fueling, it has gone in increasing a little bit the, the amount of carbohydrates that we that we understood that they could help performance okay so um th there has been a little impasse of about 20 or 15 years that um the the, the general the overall understanding was uh, really established around 90 grams per hour could be the, the upper limit and, and that was essentially because of the potential limitation from the gut from the from our intestine that we we could only absorb that, that quantity Okay, so 90 grams per hour. That is quite a big quantity, really. Okay, but uh, when I was when I was rising, I was really pushing that in, that uh, quantity up a little bit and, and 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 playing a little bit with my obviously very modest and, and humble tools that I had right at that time. So we started to realize that really you, you could push that limit. Then uh, scientifically, when I started researching with uh, with Aritz Urampieta, which he, he was uh, kind of my mentor in, in this in this kind of researching. Uh, he had that line as well, and, and, and we said, okay, let, let's go for it. And, and I was able to, to participate in those studies that we were proposing 120 grams per hour as a new, a new target. So just step by step, validating both scientifically are in the field, we, we think very, very humbly and very modestly that we are now uh, ready to say that that 90 grams per hour is not a limit anymore, that we can go higher and, and that improves or contributes to increasing the performance and, and recovery as well so that is essentially the, the whole um, story and, and, and yeah we, we were able to publish a couple of papers uh, i am aware and i know that um, you know it has been um, a lot of interest after that and, and many researchers they are um, contributing their, their themselves as well on understanding those those efforts and 
and I think it's quite fair to say that 120 could be now probably the yeah the new standard in in, in high elite athletes. But the main effect is just less muscle damage for the athlete, or what's the what's the what's the well, main difference? That that is a really smart question. There are many different um, physiological and metabolic effects that, uh, or even benefits, if we can say, that can contribute to that. Definitely, one of them we saw directly in our studies that the higher you fuel on the during the exercise, essentially on the bike when you are running. Um, the, the less protein degradation, that means less muscle damage as well, and, and that leads into a, a better recovery, for example. But uh, just by, by fueling higher carbohydrates, we are able to, for example, sustain a, a greater gross efficiency at the at the end of a five six hours ride, for example, or a race. Let's say a classic in cycling, that it you know it takes six hours. Uh, we, by fueling higher. Uh, amounts of carbohydrates, we are able to sustain the, the performance, which is essentially the, the durability to fatigue. And one mechanism is that we sustain that gross efficiency, for example. Gross efficiency is just essentially how we convert the energy that we produce into, into power, into, uh, into watts for the bike, okay, into movement for the bike. Um, together with that, yeah, recovery is, is a, it's a really big thing that uh, we, we get from, from fueling high quantities of uh, carbohydrates during the exercise. And, and then another one that we, we shouldn't underestimate is adaptations. So um, we believe, and we have already demonstrated, that by fueling more, uh, and pro especially when you are exercising around a high, high intensity, you can contribute with a higher uh, stimulus for the mitochondria. That means that you are going to get adapted and, and probably you're going to be using, uh, or you're going to be, I don't know, it's hard to explain in a... In a very easy way, but you're gonna produce some kind of components that they help on, on mitochondrial biogenesis. So that is essentially the, the, the ultimate purpose of high intensity interval training, for example. Sure, and uh, you also mentioned that, I mean, the metabolic flexibility, in a sense, uh, that is a key aspect of your work and performance in general. And in your opinion, how can athletes achieve this balance between utilizing carbohydrates that you mentioned, and, but also fats? Um, as fuel for you know for the best performance. Well, that is another another good question. I think it's, it's not really my opinion. It's, it's what we what we know from science. I think there is there is no really opinion here. Well, obviously it's, it's more about interpretation how we how we use that, that knowledge to probably convert that into training interventions and nutrition. But um, what we know is that the probably the, the major stimulus for the mitochondria is movement. So the, the probably the best we can do for uh, improving our mitochondrial flexibility or our metabolic flexibility is just move move a lot and, and, and train a lot. And you know if you if you go back 100 years or even a little bit more, uh, they they didn't have any any issues of you know metabolic uh, dysfunction or metabolic inflexibility. They they were just healthy and, and basically they were just moving. You know, then obviously on, on top of that, we need to understand that nutrition makes a, a massive uh, impact as well on, on how we use substrates. Okay, we we can really manipulate manipulate sorry um, how we oxidize fats or carbohydrates depending on what we eat, but that doesn't mean essentially that we're gonna get adaptations uh, or not necessarily that we're gonna get adaptations from that substrate. The example is very clear. I can stay one week eating avocados and I'm gonna be using more fats. But uh, that doesn't mean that I'm going to be <laughs> using uh, or increasing my mitochondrial flexibility if I don't move, for example. Okay, so movement is is non-negotiable. Movement in, is probably the 
the main and most important uh, stimuli, stimulus sorry, for, for the mitochondria. And we, and we need movement to increase um, that mitochondria flexibility. And generally, this is something, don't get me wrong with this, but generally more movement and, and, and overall leads to, to a greater mitochondrial flexibility. Mm -hmm. Okay. But as a, you know, you were a professional cyclist and I know that right now, especially some of our guests in the podcast were also mentioning that. So the role of, you know, nutrition and, like, but as you were a professional cyclist and do you think like, in those let's say past 10 years, the industry changed that sports started paying attention to that or like what changed what made that change? Well, I definitely see it changed massively uh, from, well, first of all, from, from knowledge point of view, everything is, is going very fast. I think, you know, technology that is allowing that we, we can measure more, we can understand better and, and, and you know, uh, obviously, uh, therefore we can, we can learn faster as well. I think, it's much easier to communicate information, to learn from everybody uh, that 20 years ago that, that was uh, impossible. So you can find many, many researching groups or even, you know, professionals, they were already doing many things we are doing now, but they were isolated in a way. Whereas nowadays, when, when someone is, is doing anything, he can easily communicate that. So both from technology and obviously from knowledge point of view that we, you can find brilliant, smart minds around uh, everything is, is is changing uh, in, in a massive pace or rhythm. And, um, but I, I really think, especially measuring, by measuring and understanding uh, metabolism that is allowing us to understand much better what is happening there. Um, the, the great example is uh, elite athletes. We, you, you can barely understand them if you just read the traditional uh, literature or even the, the published papers. Um, you cannot find that information. It's not written down. You know, you have to, really uh, push them and, and, and test them and, and get measurements from them and biomarkers and, 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 and learn, open your eyes and learn from them because the, the real knowledge is not, unfortunately, it's not um, available yet, you know. So just by, by uh, technology, um, you know, and, uh, the advanced technology, sorry, we can really measure more, understand more and probably uh, obviously learn faster and and, and more yeah i mean we'll, we'll get to that so the technological aspect um, of, of your work as well but you mentioned a future and like i wanted to ask about the future because you know obviously with an increasing focus on the personalized nutrition trend in in sport how do you envision the future of, of sports nutrition i mean maybe you know, how do you envision the impact on athletes performance and recovery recovery um with that yeah that, that is not only a good question but a hard one probably to to answer as long as you are really focused on something you, you see that many many different things that can keep developing but but not not essentially can contribute massively to understanding something you know so i think it is very hard to say that there is going to be something just one two couple of things that they're going to be game changers and we're going to you know, uh, the, uh, our riders or, or professional athletes are going to be able to recover, fuel better. And I think essentially just the, the, the agglomeration of different things that we really keep uh, developing that is going to allow us to, to increase that, that support for the riders. But obviously I have to say one because I have to answer your, your question. And, and I could say, uh, yes, in, in my opinion, assessing the energy demands of, of uh, an individual and really understanding by proper methodologies, how we 
um, or how they burn energy or how they absorb energy. That is going to be my opinion, a, a game changer. And, and, and we are going to really understand how different is the, is the picture from what we, what we think actually at the moment. Okay. And, uh, you know, you've worked with different types of athletes, uh, such as, as I saw it, UCI world tour, uh, cyclists, mountain runners, triathletes, so endurance sports from A to Z, uh, and, uh, in your experience as a physiology advisor and performance nutritionist, uh, what are the different, you know, strategies of working of different types of, of those athletes? We, we can probably state many, many differences at the end, you're just working with individuals, humans, and, and they, you know, you have to consider the, the, the mindset, the, the, you know, the psychological aspects and, and as well, the, the, the environment, which is, uh, you know, impact massively on, on the way they work. But essentially you, when you start probably stating those differences, you can find many of them that are, are similarities, you know, at the end, they, they, they are just humans. They want to achieve their best selves, just a maximum performance possible. They, they work daily. Uh, as hard as possible to get the maximum performance from them. So at the end, you always find those, you know, that, that ambition to learn, first of all, which is what I think it makes you being at the edge of, of the of the innovation and improvement. It's just that ambition to learn. Then obviously, you know, depending on the discipline, sport discipline, you can find many different uh, routines from how, how much, um, you know, a bike rider is training compared to a runner, the impact and you know physiologically they are very different disciplines you can when you are talking about runners you, you have to pay a lot of attention to, to muscle adaptation muscle damage the neuromuscular function whereas you know cycling probably can it can be more metabolically centered or, or focused sport uh, if you if you if you're working with a, with a triathlete then you have to take a little bit of everything and, and you have to uh, match that is the crazy puzzle you have to really match that with with the available hours or the energy budget someone can can use to train every week so th definitely they are very different uh, many differences sorry but you can uh and for sure what is what is worth uh, highlighting is that probably you can find many similarities as well uh which does that willing to uh, to be better and learn and, and give the maximum possible i know that you did some research on um uh, gastrointestinal glucose right and uh, fructose transporters and their its contribution to let's say the understanding of carbohydrate utilization during exercise uh and could you explain that but in plain words for people that are not researchers <laughs> so what does it mean really I have to say and, and admit my, my researching career has been always very modest and, and humble. Uh, we, we have always done research with, with very uh, very few resources. So we, we have never been able to study, for example, the molecular side of things like the, the you know the, the molecular mechanisms and, and that has been always um, you know uh, this how they say that in English uh, a same or a pity that I have there that I, I could have loved really to, to go deep into those mechanisms but Reality, our reality is that we, we had no resources to that. But essentially, obviously, we, we have um, we have studied the substrate oxidation. We have gone quite um, deep on, on metabolism, and we have used many, many different um, uh, methodologies and techniques that obviously can support our, our findings. 
So when it comes to the, to the carbohydrate absorption, obviously you have to look at those proteins. Uh, we have some proteins, some, some little doors that they allow that glucose or fructose to go into the, into the blood and then it is spread out through the, to the body uh, into different organs or activity um, or, or active muscles or tissues or whatever it is needed. So when we were looking at a carbohydrate intake, when you are eating just a, a banana, that is going to be uh, ultimately uh, digested into glucose mainly, for example. So that glucose needs to go in those molecular actions. They need to, uh, it needs to go into the blood. So we it was it was compulsory for us to study at least to look at how those um, uh, proteins, those, those doors, those um, transporters can. Um, can be affected or can react to a higher glucose, for example. So is there any limit on, on the absorption rate uh, for glucose and, and fructose, which is mainly glucose and fructose. We, we are, those are the main sugars that we use uh, during the exercise. So we look at them. We, did a, we couldn't look at the molecular, um, molecular mechanisms, but we did a little study on pilot, uh, pilot study on some, on some cells, really, and, and we could we couldn't publish that obviously but we could look at at some mechanisms that was very interesting and that confirmed a, a little bit our our view which was more on a, on a on a on an organism you know on the whole body so by uh studying that we we were able to define if you could say that like this a little hypothesis on on how fueling and practices the fueling that means um exposing the body to more carbohydrates during exercise can lead to a, a greater absorption. That means you can get adapted to absorb more carbohydrates, and then that's why we talk about the gut training, for example. So uh, essentially the same we do with our muscles. We expose them to um, more and bigger or more frequent contractions when we go more time in, on the bike, or we just run for longer, or we do more more repetitions on, on the, you know, on the gym. Uh, we saw that that could be possible as well with the gut, with our um, absorption capacity. And, and that is the, the whole hypothesis behind the gut training. And, and obviously that, that wasn't um, our idea, not at all. I mean, uh, there are many, many researchers that have been uh, leading the field in that topic. And we just uh, took a little bit of here, a little bit of there, and, 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 and uh, redefined a little bit the, a new hypothesis on that. You mentioned that uh, in a few interviews when I was preparing to that conversation. So essentially, training the gut, right? It has the concept of training the gut has gained attention. So as I understand this, basically through that athletes can effectively train their gastrointestinal systems to just tolerate higher uh, carbohydrate intake during exercise. Is that the correct understanding of it? That is correct. Yeah. Could you tell us more about glute for science? So what is it? What do you do there? Uh, and what's the story behind it? Okay, yeah, so glute for science first probably starting from, from the name. So the, the glute four is one of those transporters, really, you know, uh, those uh, doors that allow the, the glucose to get in into the tissues. And the glute four, we have different glutes. So the, the four one, the number four, is mainly expressed in the muscle. Okay, so that is, it plays a massive role on how we absorb glucose and how we use that glucose in the muscle, which is the main side of um, of uh, usage during the exercise glute for science initially it began as a as a little um, let's say project for myself just for 
you know, putting all my thoughts there in a, in a paper and I start just publishing on a little blog and, and, and on my Instagram account and, and that, you know, uh, step by step as, as, I, as I was um, researching with my colleagues and the researching group and, and you know, even uh, learning with uh, professional athletes and, and you know, uh, doing even pilot studies and many things, I, I started to put that all in, in that website, in that blog. And it has essentially been, uh, in my in my opinion and for me, a key part of my uh, knowledge and my developing because I was I was able to really put my thoughts there, receive a lot of feedback, a lot of feedback from many people, learn a lot, uh, connect with so many people that you know. Uh, fortunately, I can work now with them, and um, it has been just uh, starting from a very humble project on you know a crazy student just maybe just writing about what he has just learned in, in any lesson and, and, and suddenly becoming into a, I don't know, into a maybe a, a little reference guidance for new students as well. Uh, but the, the only purpose, and I have to say sorry, because recently I have literally no time to write down and, and keep updating the, the content and I keep uh, probably uh, writing what I'm learning. Uh, I hope I can resume that uh, activity soon. <laughs> But um, it has been always from the beginning. We, we know any purpose rather than learning and, and allowing people to share ideas and share information. So essentially, it's just um, this kind of spreading information uh, for everyone and obviously find my, my own uh, interest that it was learning. And, and I think I, uh, I'm a true believer that you learn a lot by writing and by exposing yourself to, to explaining ideas. It's very hard to explain something. It's very hard to explain uh, mechanisms is, is very hard you know everybody when you read it's very easy to uh, criticize but it's very hard when you start writing you know so that was essentially a mechanism of, of learning for me and um yeah fortunately it became a, a good site of reference for many people and i hope it can continue like this uh although i know if i obviously if i don't write that it's going to be forgotten there but i hope i can resume that uh, activity soon yeah you're the the performance nutri nutritionist for the cycling teams. Uh, you're also founder and, and managing Good for Science. And you were, for example, chief scientific officer in Sugar Hero, and a few other things. Like, how do you divide your time? Like, do you have any like one focus, or is it all connected in a sense? You can you're able to just you know function in all of those endeavors. Well, uh, I have a problem, and I'm, I'm probably many many colleagues, and I think I would say many of us we have a problem that we 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 really are very curious and very ambitious and something that is a, a, a disadvantage uh, because we you know if you if you focus on so many things you lose the focus and, and that is part of what, what we are learning at the, at the same time i have been involved in many many projects and i am still involved in many of them but i have to say in the last two years i'm, I'm mainly focused in the cycling team uh, i work for a for a big, big team, and that involves that you, uh, you have to basically put 100% of your attention. It's, it's such a demanding uh, sport. It's, we're just um, fighting to win the tour, which is, you know, the best um, competition in the world. So you cannot just work 80%, 90% for that. So basically, um, even if I, I keep researching and I keep, um, you know, uh, even helping some some friends or mates or, or, or even uh, supporting some projects i'm mainly focused in in the cycling team and just uh, supporting them as best as possible and well i have been doing many things that's true and uh, my interest is still very high on in, in doing many things but 
uh, when you work in such a big team, uh, yeah, you need to focus a little bit. In regards to this team, uh, like I have two questions. A, I mean, the first one is about tech in cycling teams. What I mean by that is this sport tech savvy in a sense, you know, coaches use, they use, for example, data analysis platforms, uh, apps for athletes, etc. Like, what, do you think because probably the money is there? I mean, money is in cycling, so probably tech might be there at least at the door. Like, what are what is your opinion? It is, yeah, yeah, definitely, and it depends on on the money, and the budget, on, on resources you've got. Definitely, I think cycling uh, some some years ago, maybe, and uh, probably because of the team that I work for at the moment, which was form, formerly Team Sky. They introduce heavily the, the technology, and, and that has probably developed the cycling team. And uh, we are now. Can you give an example of like what, what kind of thing, like what did what they did? Or well, they, well, not 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 only they obviously, but they they obviously they put a, a big uh, you know a new framework, new way of, of working and, and and being professional in cycling. But uh, we kind of start with the example of power meters. You know, uh, even even before Team Sky, the power meters they were. Um, they were established in the cycling team, and that allowed uh, allowed us, sorry, to get a lot of information from from what our athletes do on a daily basis. So how they train, uh, you know, the demands, physiological demands of that um, of those sessions, how how hard they have to go, how much energy they spend, you know. So that that was probably together with obviously some years back with the with the um, heart rate monitors. Uh, the power meter has been probably one of the most game-changer technology uh, coming uh, to the cycling world. And now that that has changed massively because we, we you can find technology everywhere now. You know, uh, we we have devices to to measure and monitor uh, biomarkers. We have devices to measure, uh, you know, the draft or the aerodynamic coefficient as well. Uh, we have devices to. Uh, basically, measure the, the muscle activation, uh, the, the you know the oxygen concentration. We have mes- we we have the capacity, unfortunately, to measure many things: hydration, uh, carbohydrate oxidation, energy expenditure. We, we, there are many many things that we can we can measure now, and and it's it's not well. It's kind of compare cycling to Formula One, for example. You know, it's just a completely different sport. But um, essentially, that's the direction. I mean, the, we are using technology on our daily basis to inform our decisions and to inform our athletes on how they can become better and, and, and perform in a higher level. Yeah. I don't think many teams can actually say that the same, uh, you know, uh, but it's, it's great actually. I mean, uh, it's impressive. Um, but in regards to those teams, what is so unique? I know you've been working with, as I mentioned at the beginning with multiple different endurance athletes, like what's so unique about cycling teams, you know? Could you share some like challenges, particular challenges, particular examples of that? Well, cycling is a, is a very challenging sport. And, and you can start uh, bringing down or scaling down to, you know, different topics. You know, starting from logistics is massively uh, challenging. Uh, we're talking about a sport where it's by rider they live at their own house. Uh, they don't. You, they can be spread out around Europe, or, or even even uh, America, or wherever they are. Australia, Colombia, uh, Asia. They we, we haven't got a central, you know, a training ground as in football or soccer. We we just, you know, we we are constantly on the road, 
uh, we, we meet in different hotels. So logistically, that is a massive challenge. I mean, that you, and that logistical challenge uh, means that you have uh, very limited time with them as well, really. Okay, so you, you obviously you share the training camps, you share the races, but you know it's not just uh, on a daily basis when when you are with them. So technology helps massively on on that uh, supporting, as you can imagine. Um, then from uh, from from my field, metabolically or from physiologically uh, speaking, uh, from physiological uh, demands, uh, cycling is probably, in, in my humble opinion, one, uh, if not the most challenging sport in the world. It's very hard to find uh, the you know the necessity to perform over 21 days in a high level, up to six hours per day. Uh, you know, without the capacity to say one day I want to stop today and I will resume tomorrow. It's just that every day you have to be there and every day you have to uh, give it all and, and, and push hard and, and go deep into into your your capacities. Um, and and you know, essentially because of the, the movement, how how just uh, riding a bike is, uh, it makes that the sport is metabolically very very demanding uh, in in. Running, as we as we have said before, you can find many limitators like the, the muscle. Uh, anatomically, there are limitators how how much load your muscle can can handle, but uh, that that disappears completely in cycling. So it allows us to probably go go farther in, in metabolism. So uh, it's it's um it's a different sport. It's a sport that uh, you know then on a, on another level of of things from cultural point of view, it, it is very strong. Uh, cycling is. It's just a mean of transport that has become a, a competition. Uh, so you can find many, many uh, countries where, where cycling is a culture, is a religion, like Belgium, like the, the same past country where I belong. They, really? You know, yeah, exactly. And um, so you, you can you can see a lot of uh, feelings, a lot, a lot of emotions around cycling. Uh, that, that all makes that this, this sport is, is unique and, and is uh, as beautiful as, as demanding, really. Okay. And with that, I mean, with those, uh, let's say, with those athletes, I mean, cyclists, cyclists, um, athletes um, on this, on the, from this sport. So based on their research and your practical experience, uh, what are your keys or, or your team's key strategies for those athletes to enhance their recovery through nutrition and metabolic optimization? Part, partially probably of, of what you said uh, at the beginning, right? The, the, those two, let's say, um, mentions. But like, are there any others? Or maybe you can talk a little bit about this. Definitely, we use, uh, you know, the, how, how recovery has, um, how, how recovery is supporting now has massively changed if you compare with 10, 15 years back. I, from nutrition point of view, I think the understanding on, on, on metabolism is is changing the way we recover. So now it's not only how you recover, but how you anticipate to recovery, as we have been talking. You know, So by fueling on the bike, we know that you, you are already impacting on recovery. You are already uh, looking after your recovery. So uh, definitely one of the strategies we use is, is to fuel on the bike, just anticipate. And if the next day is going to be a hard day, you know that fueling on the bike is going to allow you to recover more. For example, then obviously you know um, the the science, the state of the art around uh, recovery, and muscle and liver uh, glycogen, uh, protein synthesis that is well established. So there is nothing nothing new there. But let's say we focused obviously on 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 the main 
two or three hours when you uh, when you finish a, a race or a given training session and and, and by optimizing the, the you know that time and by by fueling enough carbohydrates enough protein on, on that on that time window you can optimize that um, you know um, riders they they recover properly for for the next day then obviously you can find many uh, physiological um, interventions such as you know cooling down and just uh, using the uh, the cold baths or, or using different whatever massages or whatever interventions that you can do myofascial massages whatever you you can find there but don't don't forget that and that probably and don't get wrong with with that direction that the main focus is is on nutrition is on, on recovering energy that is going to allow you to um, um promote recovery protein uh, synthesis and, and, and muscle recovery in, in a sense Okay, and what, what are the what are the plans right now? Because we were talking about the present, we talked a little bit about the past, but you know, what are the plans for the and goals and aspirations um, of of I mean, both in your research and your role with with the cycling teams? Well, both of them they they just um, merge in one, which is just, uh, keep learning. I have a. a, a I say that a relentless is, is said like this. I think well, uh, willing to learn, and, and I really find exciting to keep learning from from these athletes. They are the best and uh, uh, human metabolisms of the world, and, and I have to just uh, keep learning from them. But being more more specific, obviously in the cycling team, we well we want to win the tour again. We want to be competitive, and, and we uh, well personally, I want to. Um, uh, first uh, develop my department which is uh, you know human science nutrition physiology uh, i want to develop the, uh, the strategies that we that we um, apply i want to uh, you know get well with my colleagues that we are a happy environment where we work hard and we uh, learn and research and, and make them faster which at the end is just the, the ultimate goal and, and from researching point of view uh, we've got many many projects opened um well personally i have to still to finish my phd which is always a, a tick you know uh, that you, you have to do at least once in your life and, and just for your own uh, purposes and personal goals and uh, and i am very interested in studying uh, again how we burn energy and how we produce adaptations to keep uh, burning more energy that means being better you know going faster or moving for longer and, and together with that, I have a special special interest in, in, in lactate. I think that there is uh, nothing new. Um, I, I feel this this little molecule is is definitely you know something that is getting me a little bit crazy. And um, the different roles, different you know benefits that we that we keep finding from from lactate are amazing. And I'm especially attracted by the idea of um, yeah, keep uh, learning about this this little and weak use. Uh, molecule are those the things you mentioned are the 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 topics of of your interest for the first i mean for the further or future projects in in the upcoming research projects or um that you know excited about and and how they might contribute to the uh, understanding of athlete nutrition and performance like are those the the next steps next plans and next research plans projects they are yeah definitely definitely we I think we, we well we have some some good projects really. Uh, it's always hard to take elite athletes as a as a subject of a study, as you can imagine. 
uh, they, they don't want to give you the data so you so you publish it uh, you have to uh, well sometimes you get a lot of data but you cannot publish it uh, but yeah we, we are planning some studies with that uh, you know we are uh, really interested in the idea of understanding how, how much energy they really measure uh, they really uh, sorry they really spend they burn and and sometimes the, the way we measure energy is not as accurate as it should be so uh, you know methodology from methodology point of view we we still have to develop ourselves and, and yeah we've got some some interesting projects uh, going on there yeah during my 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 research I, i've noticed you mentioned you mentioned that the media somewhere that uh, inigo san milan uh, is your i mean is mentioned as as an inspiration to you uh, could you elaborate on his influence and the lessons you've drawn from his work and expertise and also explain to our audience who is he uh, as as your mentor or inspiration well yeah well um i think i mean definitely you always have many inspirations and mentors and, and you always um, you know find yourself attracted by what uh, others do and, and, and different researching lines but yeah, definitely i think yeah you are right inigo what he has done um i hope he, he doesn't get upset with this but uh, he's just a, an inspiration definitely and, and i've got some personal links with with him uh, we, we are our like literally my village is, is 5k from his village so even from since i was young i was uh directly and directly exposed to that name you know that Inigo was and who is Inigo Samian. i really realized who who was he uh, you know when, when i was studying about the topic and so as as we probably share origin <laughs> we share interest and uh, and i really uh, appreciate and and i really like the way he researches which is always a very um applied way of researching he doesn't only research but he applies uh, you know everything he learns uh, i definitely i i can say he's just a yeah, such an inspiration for me and especially uh, in the topic of of using lactate as a, as a mitochondrial um, flexibility biomarker you know so just um you you told me about presenting him a little bit well Inigo Samian is just uh, if i am not wrong for Inigo if i if i say something wrong but uh he's an exercise physiologist that has been uh, for a long time uh, researching in the area of uh, uh, substrate utilization uh, mitochondrial uh, function uh, you know glycogen uh, everything related to uh, really metabolism you know so uh, he has been very active in in performance uh, he's actually the coach and trainer of uh, Tadej Pogacar which uh, we can say probably one of or the best cyclists the best bike rider in the world um and, and he at the same time he studies cancer he plays uh, a massive role on, on, on the cancer researching so um, definitely say somebody that you you can only uh, you know learn from and I feel very happy to say um I hope I am not wrong that I am we are friends and something we share a little ride around our our home and 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 a glass glass of wine yeah <laughs> okay and and the we we always uh i mean i always ask my guests this as their last question or maybe not always but pretty often and it's about advice and what would be the advice that you would have for younger researchers and practitioners in your field who are obviously interested in pursuing a career in exercise physiology, metabolism, sport nutrition, 
etc. Well, that is always hard because, I, I, especially, I am I am quite young. I consider myself quite young. I am below below thirty and have done many many things. And I I don't see myself giving advices to anyone honestly. Um, but I I really can say, at least in my experience, what has brought me here is just my my ambition to learn and my my willing to to just curiosity to learn and 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 to challenge myself and, and even even the current state of the art i think nothing is uh, is just there fixed and established we, we we have absolutely the right to challenge everything and to uh, to fight for what we believe or what we see so i don't know if, if you say that in english but no no complex no 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 barriers no no barriers for anyone just just believe in in what you what you think if you if you have seen that there is any any sense if you if you are following an hypothesis whatever just just keep going and and and, and do every steps to to confirm that hypothesis or or, or to uh, discard it uh, but definitely just um, keep learning always always hungry and you know um, that would be my if I can say that is an advice um, especially in the sport I would say yeah that is an important one especially in the sport. I, I definitely think you have to experience. You have to um, practice what you are doing. I think it's a massive part of understanding really how it works. So whether if uh, if you are an athlete or not, uh, there is always something that you can try by yourself. Um, you probably can explain something much better if you try it. If you try, if you feel it on your on your own body, and and you know. Uh, that that helps and that helps a lot with communication with athletes. If you understand them, uh, sport is such a unique environment, and, and understanding what they do, um, you know that the empathy, working on that empathy, uh, I think it is definitely uh, something we we have to do. Right, and 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 if anyone of our uh, audience is interested in your work and your research, when they can uh, they can find you. Well, probably the main side is, is Twitter, where I'm now more active. Um, I think my user is mviitor. Uh, you can always, uh, you know, drop me a message, an email on itor at groovforscience.com as well. I, you know, invite you to visit my, my website as well, my uh, Group for Science blog, which is a little bit, um, you know, uh, I, I need to resume uh, the writing, but uh, definitely you can find me, uh, you know, anywhere, whether it it's on Twitter, Instagram as well, but mainly I would say, yeah. Uh, on Twitter, I'm quite active recently. And uh, Aitor, thank you very much. Or should I say Aitor, right? Aitor. Thank you very much for, for, for joining today and for sharing insights and, and your thoughts uh, with our with our audience. Okay, Th thank you, Jan. Uh, my pleasure, definitely. And, and congratulations for everything you do as well. Um, just a pleasure to be to be here talking with you. Stay in touch with us, subscribe to our podcast, give us a like, comment or share. If you want to reach out personally, you can find me on LinkedIn and Instagram.